0: What's your problem? What's your solution? This is an interview series about making the world a better place. Bill Joy is a co-founder of Sun Microsystems. When Berkeley University became one of the first universities in the United States to offer computers to its students, Bill Joy became one of the first computer engineers writing the code that laid the foundations for the first software. Today, Bill Joy is focused on making sure that technology helps us meet the biggest challenge of our times. Welcome to Camp Solutions. Bill, you've studied many technologies that could help the battle against climate change and reverse global warming. And after that extensive study, you selected three to really support, invest in, and, and Help them grow. Right. Why these three and which are they?
1: We made a list of 25 things that we thought would make it could make a huge difference that were specific innovations and then we tried to imagine how those innovations could occur. So um, for example one of them was to replace the albedo that we'd lose when the, the reflectivity of the North Pole if the cap, ice cap melted so you figure out how much white surface there is and you figure out how, where can you put more white? Can we make white roads? Can we make white roofs? How can we, you know, how can we put that back? That was one of the 25. We didn't, we didn't find a breakthrough way of doing that. But the three that were survivors came out of, of the 25, maybe 12 of them we found investable startups. And at least half of those failed for technical reasons. Say that was the goal actually was for half of them to fail and then maybe half of them failed for business reasons and then there's, then there's three super impactful ones left. Mm-hmm. So let's talk
0: about those three, which, which are
1: the three? Well, the single most impactful is electrification. Mm-hmm. And um, our view was really, in fact, the view of all these 25 things was very, very simple, was that there's a secular trend toward electrifying everything. So we need renewable electricity and the easiest way to get it is from solar or wind. If we had batteries then we could make the grid 100% renewable and those batteries that are cheap enough and, and energy dense enough would not only fully electrify the grid but fully electrify transportation and the sum of those two is probably a quarter of global emissions, something on that order. The other two were? The next most important one is probably cement. Yes. Because it's variously estimated at five five to seven percent of global emissions and um, so the, the the secret with the batteries was to, to have a polymer that replaces the liquid which unlocks a lot of the periodic table, a lot of the elements you couldn't use. The secret in cement is to have it make its bonds using um, carbon dioxide rather than water. This kind of cement we invented Instead of using water and consuming the water to bind the cement together, you take CO2 from the air, so you draw down the CO2, and so most of the uh, CO2 emissions from cement are gone. And so that's so the, if the if the batteries fully fleshed out were like 25 percent, the cement could be five to seven. That's we're up to 30 percent. That's a that's lot, a lot. S- but. You know, then the rest of it is the whole picture and it gets harder, right? Because the pieces that are available. The next biggest piece that we tried to work on um, was, uh, it it relates to agriculture and deforestation. And the most notable example there is this company called Beyond Meat, which takes uh, vegetable protein and mixes it with vegetables and and other ingredients that are non-animal products. So you have beef, pork, and you have poultry, Mm-hmm. And you, have, you also have cattle for milk, yeah. and you have poultry for eggs. Yeah. And you also have the poultry consumed, and you have the pigs consumed, and you have the cattle consumed. And you have all the grazing and the, the land soil impact, right? So there's a lot of things you have to substitute away. Now, if we, if we look at it, you know, so like Beyond Meat has Beyond Pork, Beyond Beef, and um, they have Beyond Chicken. So they have created ways of texturing vegetable protein and flavoring it. To replace, though, largely for some people who are willing, it's not identical, but for most people, okay, it's healthier and ultimately should be cheaper. For milk, a lot of people have their cappuccino with almond milk. It's yeah. higher in calcium. It doesn't necessarily have the toxins or organic milk. So there's many kinds of milk. Yeah. Eggs. To really get rid of all the livestock, you have to have an egg substitute also. Yeah. So, and, I, and, I, and I, that's not a complete, I haven't done a complete taxonomy, there is more. So, but we, we, we see early hopeful signs, you know, Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger are doing quite well. And I think yeah. that's that's a really exciting area. It's people reformulating for existing people's tastes out of different ingredients to go after that, say 20, 20% or something. Because yeah. it has a deforestation the same thing with fish, you know, you can do, say we've been catching the fish in the wild like we used to eat wild animals. You don't eat many wild animals anymore. We're running, we've taken out 90% of the wild fish, so now people are doing fish farming. Yeah. But you could also, instead of growing meal and feeding it to fish on a farm and then eating the fish, you could create something from the plant material which tasted like fish by putting the oils in it that, that the fish don't make the oils, the fish get the oil from plankton. From so plant, you, can, you, yeah. can, you can get the plankton, you know, something well, you know, it's not exactly a plant, but you know, get, get it from get it from the precursor materials and then reformulate. It's not as hard as it appears to be. No. It's, it's maybe hard to get a company that's successful in the marketplace, yeah. but if you're determined and you have enough knowledge and you have a chef working with you, and you should be able. Yeah, to do taste
0: it. is probably the easiest part. It's texture that that's. Texture why I, texture yeah. is
1: really hard, yeah. and you know, there's there's certain things about the aspect. I buy the I buy the. Ground beef, and I put it in the pan, and I expect juice to flow out and, yeah. and make a mess in my pan. Yeah. And if I buy something else that pretends to be beef, and it doesn't smell the same, and it doesn't leave mess in the pan, I, it, it's part of a, it's a cultural thing, yeah. right? And the, and that habit of that expect cultural expectation is a essential a market requirement yeah. for if we want to substitute the impact of the protein quickly, we need to we need to match people's existing. Yeah habits and expectations.
0: That part seems easier in the electrification. So the, the batteries, uh, we do have batteries. So what, is, what, we, what do we need to change there?
1: Okay, so you probably encounter only two, two battery chemistries, uh, three, three battery chemistries in your life. In your car, if it's not an electric car, there's a lead acid battery, yeah. which is essentially a catastrophe, right? Lead is a terrible, terrible thing for the environment. And the batteries have very limited capacity. They just turn out to have the characteristics to, to turn your car engine over. So once we electrify the cars, that the chemistry will pretty much be gone. So let's just put that to the side. There's two battery c- chemistries that you otherwise encounter, the lithium ion batteries, which are in like the cameras that are filming us here. And then you can also go to the hardware store and get an alkaline cell, it's a disposable Rayovac Duracell energizer. They're single use, they're inexpensive, and they're made from non-toxic materials and they're safe. Okay, so all the good things I just said are untrue of lithium batteries. They're expensive, they're toxic, they're made from raw, very raw materials, and they're unsafe. The alkaline's made with really inexpensive materials. And people tried very hard to make a, 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 a chemistry, of, to make them rechargeable. Because if they, if they were rechargeable, they'd then be cheap, and all the, thing, all the good things I just said. What we realized was the the lithium or the whatever the ions move in this special liquid and i put a, something in between so it's not an electrical short you know, it zap when you you know so i got to keep the electrons away from each other so they can go around the outside so i need a barrier to keep the electrons from going on the inside cuz we want the electrons going around the outside and want the ions going on the inside the ions are in a liquid but the problem is li- then when you're in a liquid all sorts of things bad things happen so we invent this polymer, the polymer can replace the liquid. And when it replaces the liquid, it allows you to use some better materials over here. So maybe we can reduce the cost from $120 a kilowatt hour, you know, ultimately to say 50. Mm -hmm. What would even be better is if we could take this chemistry that's already safe and cheap and non-toxic and abundant and everything and just make it rechargeable. Well, it turns out the polymer, if I put it in those batteries, those batteries become rechargeable. So now instead of $120 a kilowatt hour, this is like a factor of 10 cheaper. So I could give you enough batteries to last for 24 hours
0: for $1,000. That's really cheap. You basically described how, how it would work, but the, is there a factory producing that battery?
1: No. The company is a polymer company, and what we, what we are doing is we're working with the battery manufacturers, because each of them has their own particular recipe yeah, it's like we're we're supplying butter, and yeah, everybody's yeah. using it to cook or something. Okay. Right, it's it's a key ingredient, but it's a different way of manufacturing. So that yeah. takes time yeah. to make the adjustments. Yeah. yeah, you have to build a new assembly line essentially, yeah. and it takes a few years. But there's really good, you know, there are really good manufacturing engineers in the world, and they're they're hard at work on it.
0: So technology can save the planet. It can also basically destroy the planet. Right. How do we drive technology in in the direction that it really serves us?
1: If the technology is sufficiently powerful or sufficiently impactful, and we just let the market take us to wherever random chance takes us, we may end up in a really undesirable outcome. We don't seem to have the you know, especially with the current US administration is anti-intellectual, anti-very emotional appeals. It's, It's not about reason. We need to make rational choices about things that haven't happened yet. It's a little bit more like faith, right? We have, to, we have to have faith in our scientists and be able to believe in things we haven't yet seen and make ethical commitments based on that. So mm-hmm. it's a more, it, it has more of almost a religious framework than a scientific framework about it because you have to have that leap of faith. This is the, we'll do it because it's the right moral thing to do outside of the pecuniary stuff that's in the marketplace. And so we don't have the, we just, I don't see that. that's the way we choose right now. The capitalism, the machine just runs and does. Mar- marketing people create de- desire and, you know, gadget makers create the, and it, it's gotten bad because with networking, all those things have become very addictive. Mm-hmm. The oil companies knew about global warming. They, they knew that the opioids were, the, the Facebook knows it's addictive. iPhone's addictive. So, you know, these, so we we're, we're, we're is it any surprise that the addictive stuff outcompetes the non-addictive stuff? That, that's Darwinism, right? So
0: you almost have to decide how to stop. You mentioned religion as a, as a yeah, because the, the, the challenge is on a different level. It's not the head, it's the heart, if you like. Yeah, exactly. And so um, we spoke in this series of interviews also with Deepak Chopra who mm-hmm. says the ultimate solution to global warming is, is different consciousness, because right. the, 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 the species we are is basically insane. We destroy, we kill each other, we destroy the environment, we pollute, right. we do all these things that right. are unhealthy. Right. And if you continue doing that, well, yes, we all know it's unhealthy, but it doesn't change unless there's a different awareness. Right. That's, I mean...
1: That's I asking for a lot.
0: Well, yeah. How, can you follow the argument, and, and how do we get there? there there's a point at which we push the panic
1: button which I, I thought would have been before now and I tried to get the best tools that we would have like our survival kit, of things we could scale up when the time came to push the panic button but that pushing of the panic button is this cultural change that we decide we were going to get serious about really addressing all these sustainability issues you know my stepson is um, Involved in extinction rebellion, he was arrested here at New York City Hall a week or two ago. I mean, people are saying, look, we have to call more, we have to mobilize, and it doesn't take that larger percentage of people. People say it's only a few percent of people that are active can change. Say it's three to five percent of people, you can get three to five percent of people largely from the younger generation. that's going to be more affected. Um, like the Parkland kids got a lot of national attention for yes. a while. Now.
0: Or this girl from Sweden now.
1: The girl from Sweden, right? Will these things really catch fire? I I, I hope so. Um, I'm encouraged. But it can't be really diffuse. It has to be, you know, things have to come together,
0: like the civil rights movement came together. We need, you know, we we need activism.
1: It, It needs to pinch people in a way or they won't pay attention.
0: Could we say that global warming? Is closer to people's immediate experience in a way that it may unite us to, to basically act in the way we need to act.
1: There's a lot of things coming at us which will be very, very critical to deal with. And we have to make a decision. We can't deal with all these, we can't solve all these problems at once. So but some, it seems to me, are more critical than others. And coming into balance, and it's not just with CO2. We have to deal with all the planetary boundaries, like the nitrogen cycle, fresh water. You know, there's, there's, like, species extinction, and it's, we have to be at that level of consciousness that we have to say, we have to, we, we're interfering with these large cycles, and it's, it's, it's geochemistry. We don't get to make the rules of the way these chemicals interact, They're, you know, and we can't mess these things up because we depend on them. The thing that may be the thing that makes everybody aware is when we have a major crop failure that creates mass starvation somewhere. Like could be happening in Southeast Africa right now from what was a historically aberrant uh, or typhoon yeah. or cyclone or whatever yeah. they call it. Came yeah. in and flooded and like North Carolina and South Carolina got flooded, flooded you know, two or three countries. Yeah. But that could happen on a larger scale, right? Because we are interfering with the storm cycle. Uh, The storm cycle is not a linear consequence of these things. It's a nonlinear consequence. In other words, if the amount of energy in the ocean or the amount of moisture in the air goes up by a factor of two, you might get a storm that's 10 times larger. Something like that, I would think, might be a way that we would collectively realize we've got to stop. And, you know, you you would have thought the California wildfires were that. You would have thought the North Pole... The ice cap melting would be that that's why i said the panic point i thought would have been reached by now there have been several things which would be enough for a reasonable person to i think conclude it's not going to work out well i don't want to see the end of this movie right Mm. so it's not expensive to fix it why don't we just do it you know a few cents a kilowatt hour why can't we why can't we have a two cent a kilowatt hour tax for 100% goes to renewables. We'll tax the carbon and give rebates to the people. Why don't we, we just- so, so easy. Yeah, it's not hard. We've, as a culture, it, it's really hard to f- focus on things which aren't necessarily very fun to solve. I can't game gamify solving the climate crisis. We have to do some really hard work. There's two in, in institutions we have which can do a lot for us. One is liability laws, tort laws, and the other is insurance yeah because if we made people insure against the consequences of like the nuclear power plants which really aren't as safe as they should be have an exemption from liability for accidents because nobody would insure them no of course so why should we build things that no one would insure? that's the whole point yeah so if the coal Plants were responsible for the environmental consequences of emissions. Nobody would build them. Then they wouldn't build them. No. We need to be going the other direction, where people feel like they take responsibility for. You know, that's for individually we try not to eat meat, or you try to do these things to, you know, carbon offsets, or you know, try to start companies that help. George Gilder, the futurist, said that every era has its defining scarcities and abundances, and so the defining abundance in our is connectivity and information. The, the, the defining scarcity is probably the wisdom to make the essential choices about becoming sustainable,
0: right? But to solve this problem of global warming or to, to, to give it our best, we need certain technologies, you've talked about that, um, we need a change in mindset, right. both, but is it the
1: mindset even more important? It's like building liberty ships or something. I need a World War II kind of scale up probably to attack this and I'm nowhere near doing that. If we had the deadline, then there would be a panic point. But we just imagine that the deadline's always yeah. twenty years from now. But it's I don't know how I don't know how far it is, but I'm afraid it may be it may be sooner than we think. That's the precautionary principle, right? So what behave do I how do I behave if it might be a decade from now? What's the ethically responsible way to behave? We can have that conversation, but people aren't acting enough because they're not feeling the pain enough. And I'm not trying to inflict pain on anybody, but I think there's a scenario of something that's very likely to unfold, which will make this, the problem of climate change much more acute for people. In Florida, we saw a Category 5 in Mexico Beach. just The whole town just disappeared, right? So, I mean, one, two, three, four, five, but five is, like, way more than four, right? Structures don't survive. That's why there's no six, because they don't need a six. But it, it seems to me if there's a canary here, it's first insurance, and then mortgages, well, because who's gonna wanna give fire insurance on the houses in the central California where there's a drought? Yeah. I saw some in the paper, that said PG, and he said, well, if the fire are dangerous, I will just turn off the power. That's our solution to, yeah. well, maybe the people should be off the grid so they don't have the power lines. That would solve, that maybe would solve the problem, but you know, Things that we take for granted, like insurance, will—they have actuaries that actually look at the real numbers, unlike mm-hmm. public opinion. Doesn't the actuaries see the North Pole melting and see the Category Five hurricane, and they—they—they—they they, 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 they see that that means they have to adjust their models and the rates should go up. And so that's the, that's the kind of signal from uh, the catastrophe, the cat- people who, pr- who practice catastrophe as an art that we need. We need those signals. I don't know why we're not getting them. We're not getting them soon enough.
0: Has your personal lifestyle changed?
1: I have a sailboat that we designed with Amory's help, which is attempting to be as sustainable as we can make. It's like a community on the water. It's got, you know, radically efficient insulation, lighting, hybridization. You know, the whole raft of technologies in it. And so it's a personal. It's an expensive personal toy if you will so what do we do with it we take it to places and do conservation work and bring decision makers i had two environmental ministers from ecuador for dinner and in that environment and we told them about it's a model of efficiency you know because it's like half the footprint of equivalent things we called it ethereal island in our design manifesto right so it's like it's like a little island and that's a good place to start you know to make an island which is zero carbon and it doesn't have infinite water it doesn't Mm -hmm. have infinite really you know, local agriculture. So we've put a lot of energy into that and then into starting these companies, and now I'm trying to take these companies to scale. And there's not a good funding mechanism. Venture capital, in the age of the social network, wants things that get to be big faster. You know, the battery company, we're far enough along that all the, we can get money from industrial partners, but these other companies have been very hard to finance through what they call the valley of death, from having a first product to having enough business that traditional debt financing and yeah. you know, people to finance oil and gas projects, the kind of dumb money that's happy to finance an oil and gas project, you want it to finance a renewable, sustainable project instead. And you've seen some examples. Google has done a bunch of solar farms. W- Warren Buffett has as well. The Google guys, I think, are more mission- have a more of a mission. but. Um, You know, because it's important to them to say, like, their data centers are 100% sustainable.
0: What's your personal favorite climate solution?
1: Uh, The batteries is the most impactful thing. It's batteries, inexpensive, safe, non-toxic, abundant batteries, so that we can switch the grid from being a power grid to an energy grid, and that we can therefore decarbonize and make a whole lot of systems way more efficient. And, and it's beyond probably our ability to imagine. We'd have to get a workshop together just to brainstorm to come up with a, for the, for the tip of the iceberg of what what could be do, then be done.
0: And when is that
1: going to happen? In the next decade. I think we'll, by 2030. The, the people have believed that solid-state batteries were the innovation that was going to be the next major innovation in batteries, and that would come in the 2030s. But We were lucky to find a technology, I think it'll come in the 2020s and it will trigger this transformation by the second half of
0: the 2020s. Thank you, Bill, for your good work. Thank you. Clean, cheap, rechargeable, better batteries can solve 25% of the problem of global warming. We need them fast. Bill Joy is on it. This was Camp Solutions. See you next time.